Brothers and sisters, welcome back to the XX Mormon Podcast. We are here today for a solemn and sacred meeting, and I pray that the Spirit will be with us. Uh, Bishop, you are presiding today, and I'm going to turn the time over to you because you have some exciting topics. And of course, I should mention Brother Rockwell's up on the stand here as well, as he'll be giving uh, our intermediate hymn. Right. I got my six shooter on my waist. <laughs> Excellent. It's always nice to have an angelic visitor. <laughs> yeah. Talk to us from the other side of the veil. So welcome, the the resurrected uh, Porter Rockwell. Um, I appreciate you acknowledging that I am resurrected. Right, you are. Yeah. Um, were you Were you twinkled in an eye? Were you Did you get twinkled or? Did you die first and then get resurrected? Well, I had my second anointing here on earth. Then I died <laughs> and then I was resurrected. So it's so you apart. weren't twinkled. You weren't. It was not twinkled. Transformed not in the twinkle. In the twinkle <laughs> no. of an eye. Okay. So story time. When I was about fourteen, I had a girlfriend who was. She went to like some kind of reformed or united church, and I remember her telling me that like they used to go to one church, but then they left because her parents didn't like the pastor. And so they just chose another church. And I was like, well, you guys obviously don't have the church truth because if your church had the truth, you wouldn't just, you know, change denominations based on how much you like the pastor. Um, so that what she told me was just like proof positive to me that Mormonism was the only true church because we don't just waffle based on what the idiot up front says. Um but if you think about the stage that that sets, that Mormons go to church no matter what the guy at the front says, I just want you to imagine that you made a shoe and it's not particularly functional or useful. And it's highly likely that someone else could take the fundamental design of your shoe and improve upon it. The core idea of the shoe would remain the same. It just would have an improved presentation and functionality. But now let's pretend you're Stalin and this is Soviet Russia. It doesn't matter if anyone could make a better shoe. This is the only shoe that will be given to the loyal subjects. And if anyone challenges your shoe design, they're black bagged and purged like any other heretic. I mean, traitor, because Soviet Russia is secular and totally not religious. And so I think this is a situation that general authorities are in twice a year. They have a guaranteed audience who is forced to not only listen to their talks, but then reread them in, uh, in relief society and priesthood. And you have to make a way in your mind for those talks to be good. It doesn't matter what the talk says or doesn't say as a general authority, your audience is compelled to find meaning in it. Even if the meaning is terrible. Mm -hmm. Um, I like that point. I've actually never thought of it like that. That's a great point though. Yeah. Like it is, it is the Soviet Russia of the ideas market. Yeah. Like it is not, there is no free market of ideas. There's no like, that was bad. This is good. Let's keep this. Let's take that away. I think Dallin got it wrong on this point. I think we could kind of further develop this one. It's like, no, you have to listen to what we say. And if you don't listen, you're getting black bagged and purged. Yeah. You're going to the gulag of ex outer darkness, mm -hmm. right? Did you guys have a specific a general authority growing up that you kind of hated his talks? Like he felt like he was the one that made you feel guiltier than others? Or... Mm. No, I thought they were all like God, basically. Yeah. I like 
yeah, there's, they could do no wrong. Like I, I drank the Kool-Aid. I hated Elder Bednar because he also reminds me of myself. He's a well, actually guy. Mm. Every one of his talks is a well, actually, and I'm a well, actually guy. (laughs) And so it's like looking in a mirror, listening to him talk at church because I'm like, oh, he's just like everything I hate about myself. (laughs) Over a uh, over a a titanium (laughs) endoskeleton. <laughs> the bed bot. <laughs> the bed bot, right? <laughs> I know I post I've posted about this on, on the X Mormon subreddit and they said, uh, are you sure his name's not Bender? <laughs> like that robot from Futurama. <laughs> That's pretty good. Hiding yeah. in plain sight. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I hated Boyd K. Packer because he is so goddamn boring. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it is and it is in the perfect and prescribed pattern of the Lord. <laughs> I had to meet him in the MTC. When I was did you? How, how terrible was that? Awful. It was the most bizarre. So he did not, he, he would stand at the front. It was like, you mm-hmm. know, the whole big meeting they had for all the missionaries. And so there was, I mean, hundreds of us in this big auditorium. And he stood up there and we were all allowed, we were given the privilege of walking up and putting our hand out. And he didn't even squeeze your hand. It was like just... Just touching palms and then moving on. And so he was going to allow all of us the privilege, all these missionaries, of just touching him like he's Christ or something. It was the most right. bizarre. And so he had this like deadpan stare. It wasn't even looking at us. Just straight ahead like a robot with his arm out. And everyone just got to touch his hand and move on. And they were like – they had people around kind of shuffling us because you couldn't take too long and like really, you know, squeeze down on his hand and give a real handshake. You had to just kind of touch and move on. It was just the weirdest thing. But he just yeah, – it was like a robot. He just It was our privilege to go meet him. Yeah, I okay. I do actually have a story about handshakes um, and the in Lord's the temple. Uh, so, <laughs> <laughs> um, when I was a kid, um, Bednar, Ballard, and Thomas S. Monson showed up to like this regional state conference thing, and I got to go. And then at the end, they had this pathway going from kind of the back door of the chapel outside and uh, and they lined all the primary kids up along this pathway and we're getting to shake their hands and it's all exciting monson just like booked it past everybody he didn't shake anybody's hands he's like we're in a rush we're going and so from then on i was like i hate that guy (laughs) (laughs) tommy tommy (laughs) but then bednar shook everybody's hand like every single kid. Because as he was pre-programmed to do, he's trying <laughs> and, to... And he memorized every every single name and our ages. Memorized or just like stored it in a database. <laughs> Is it really like... that different? <laughs> <laughs> like he... <laughs> the fact that his talks are like... His talks are written by a bot. Who's like analyzed <laughs> brothers and sisters. It is now my privilege and I invite the Holy spirit to dwell within. And as a part of us, as I recite the five points of blah, 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 food storage. And then it's like some Microsoft algorithm. He's programmed yes. to spit yes. out these talks, you know, it's just, yeah, it is analyzed general conference talks. And then it's just like, you know, when it's like Batman, someone's like, I shoved a bunch of Batman scripts into a bot and then it wrote its own Batman. <laughs> like that's Bednar giving a talk, right? The parts of lesser general authorities. He's yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> and then, 
And then, do you remember when he gave that like analogy about a pickle? Pickling yep. is. This was like. <laughs> I and remember he made it, this one. He made a joke, and like nobody laughs at first, and he has to like pause for dramatic effect because they're like, <laughs> "We are all crossing the uncanny valley. This robot is making a joke, and we don't know if we're al- <laughs> like." Did he mean to do this? It's achieved consciousness. Like, yeah, aware now. <laughs> Lock it up. Disconnect it from the yeah. internet. I wonder if I was going through. This was when when I was still active, but I was looking at like you could find talks given by general authorities specifically mm-hmm. um, in in the LDS Tools app, and. I was like, oh, Bednar and uh, Uchtdorf became apostles at the same time. I wonder how many talks they've given each. And Uchtdorf was a 70 before he was an apostle. So he's got like a shit ton of talks going back to the early 90s. And Bednar was a president of BYU or whatever. And so he's got like, I don't know, half as many talks or less than half as many talks as Uchtdorf. And I'm like, I wonder if he hates that as he goes for his morning jog around Rexburg. If he's just (laughs) like, damn, Uchtdorf. Has given more, t- but when I am Lord Almighty, he's got I photos get- of Uchtdorf around his house. Just to motivate yeah. him, I want to get you. I will, I will be prophet, and a I will get more talks than you. <laughs> yes, <laughs> yeah, just every day throwing darts. <laughs> because I know, like, there is, I can't think of a company with uh, a level of executive managers who are not in some way competitive with each other. Because to get yeah. to the mm-hmm. top of a pyramid, you have to be hyper competitive, right? Yeah. yeah. And so there must be apostles who hate each other. Yeah. Oh, 110%. And I bet Bednar absolutely hates that Uchtdor has given more talks than him. Even even my totally active sister knows that they're like dishing on each other, like during their talks. Not as explicitly as they did in the 70s, but like... I've heard that uh, quote. It's like, general conference isn't for the apostles to speak to the members. It's for the apostles to speak to the other apostles. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And and like the missionaries have told me two separate occasions when Bednar has come to visit this mission and speak to them. First was after they uh, reorganized the priesthood and Russell Nelson was calling everything a revelation. Bednar comes and he's like, this wasn't a revelation. The church has been planning and evaluating these programs for years. <laughs> and then he came like just within the last year and he's like, church culture is absolute garbage. <laughs> like, like, why do you preach that from the pulpit, man? Like, yeah. yeah, we all know more. Every Mormon knows that Mormon culture is garbage, right? Mm-hmm. Like Utah has the most boob jobs per capita. Mm-hmm. And, and Okay. Okay. Wait, wait, wait. Pause right there. What? Because yeah. I was... Driving I-15 from yeah. Ogden to Provo yesterday. Yeah. And there was a sign, a big billboard. They're like all over the place here. It's crazy. And it says, diamonds were a girl's best friend until Botox came along. And it was like an advertisement for a spa. I'm like, who wrote this ad and who's looking at that? And you're like, you know what? You're right. I'm, I'm getting Botox today. It's such a Utah specific ad. Yeah, I love it. So like, weird. <laughs> like if you think, uh, just to tangentialize a little bit, <laughs> completely away. If you think about like Utah is actually probably a hotbed for plastic surgery. Imagine you're mm-hmm. you're an 18 year old woman. Your body's probably in the best condition it's ever going to be in. Then you have kids a year later, 
and you've got stretch marks all over. And like, it's just by the time you're 24, your friends who aren't Mormon are still in the peak condition of their life. And your body's just been ravaged by having five kids. Mm-hmm. And it's like, what the fuck happened to my youth? Mm-hmm. I'm like 25 and I look in the mirror and I see a 40 year old woman, like what in God's name has happened to me. So it's just like, Hey, mommy makeover special. Like mm-hmm. we'll give you the lift tuck and you know, yeah. the whole deal. Plus like you, you, you end up with gray hair at like 30 because you've been raising five kids since you were 23, yeah. you know? It, well, and on top of that, but women wouldn't feel sexy wearing garments all the time too. Right. That's, oh. Right. <laughs> So yeah, they're like, yeah, I'm gonna yeah. do a little bit something for me. I'm gonna do something for me finally. Like I can, I can, and then you just add the pressure of like, uh, because the church just extends high school, right? The social dynamic of church yeah. and everybody sizing each other up, and so it's definitely like everybody's looking at each other's engagement rings. Everybody's looking at who, like, the pressure on women in Utah. I, yeah. I feel sorry for every one of them. It's insane. Yeah. But anyway, that's yeah. not what we came here. We came to talk about why do general authorities give the shittiest talks? One theory is, is that Elder Bednar is a robot who is just coming to understand people for the first time in his life. But, but right? that only explains him. Yeah. So why do the rest, I'd say one, one of the, on top of Russell M. Nelson and his stupid wife saying, like competing with herself for dumber things to say. It was like the newer apostles and I'm listening to them talk and I'm like, these guys are dumb as a pile of fucking rocks. Like their depth of theology is so shallow. Mm. I feel like it's like, as I, as I got jobs after university and started working with corporate managers and being like, this guy's just like my boss. He's not, he doesn't know anything. Yeah. (laughs) Right. Like this is like listening to my boss talk about church which would not be interesting. (laughs) Holy crap. Right. So you've got like just corporate managers who are not meant to be theologians who have no training in giving sermons. And they have this audience that's compelled to soak up everything they say. Mm -hmm. Do you guys feel like the church has stepped back? Like part of it, is it intentionally you think a little bit with not getting so doctrinal because of how embarrassed we've been? I I think so. Hey, we, I don't know. I'm not a member anymore, but like, you know, I just, cause I think back to like the Bruce R. McConkie days. Oh, yeah. And I yeah. mean, it was, I felt like as a kid growing up in the church in the 80s and 90s, conference was kind of how you got that validation because they would mm-hmm. stand there and they would give these talks and kind of explain away things. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and I wasn't questioning the logic, but I think, you know, it was like Bruce R. McConkie, like uh, Talmadge, these scholars, you know, they would publish these books and we all read them, Jesus the Christ, Articles mm-hmm. of Faith. And I definitely don't feel like that level of, you know, I guess thought has gone in or that, that, that caliber of kind of, you know, that they were really trying to be, I felt like, you know, gospel kind of, you know, like, I guess Christian historians, like they can, you know, like they can yeah. go toe to toe with anyone, you know, like they could, yep. they could, you know, sit and quote scriptures. I feel like that really has changed. Yeah. I remember folklore with McConkie being on my mission. I'd hear stories like, I don't know what, I think they were traveling. Apparently the story was years ago, the brethren were traveling and, you know, Bruce R. McConkie sitting there and they were on like a plane or I don't know, a ride somewhere. And he had his eyes closed. And one of the other general authorities said, Hey, you sleeping? He's like, no, I'm reading my book of Mormon, you know, cause he right. memorized yeah, the yeah. entire, you know, and you're like, and you're, yeah. and it's like, it was one of those stories on my mission. I heard, I'm like, wow, you know, these guys are on another level. And yeah. then you kind of, and, but they just seem to be very, very well versed in both the Bible, you know, and the Book of Mormon. It was, and now I agree. It's like all, 
fluff, you know. Well, just... And I think a big part of it is definitely the lawyers who review the conference talks, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Like, because That's then you point. hear th- things like what um, Holland said at BYU, right? Musket like, fire and yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, uh, and, and so I think they still, some of them like feel that, or at least try to like emulate it in their personal mm-hmm. lives and personal interactions with people, but they can't do it during conference. I think that's a part yeah, of it. For sure. Like, so yeah. Jordan Peterson is one person that LDS men for some reason just flocked to. And mm-hmm. I remember when he first started getting famous with like his 12 rules for life and stuff like that. Like a lot of what he said was stuff that kind of your more um, conservative general authorities would say in priesthood session. So it was a lot of like, be a man, stand up straight, do take responsibility for yourself. And that I'm like, I'd listen to him talk. I'd be like, this sounds like priesthood session, mm-hmm. but yeah. he's just more interesting. What makes this guy more interesting? Well, he'll talk about the background of all of his ideas and he talks about how he comes to his conclusions and then even in interviews, when I've seen interviews where he's been truly stumped on issues, he'll reevaluate his position. He's not afraid mm-hmm. to be wrong, right? And yeah. that's what you guys were mm-hmm. talking about is like in general conference, they are paranoid of making a mistake or saying something that might show up in CNN and cast a bad light on the church. So they end up not actually saying anything. Yeah. And that's that's why they don't publish like all these other meetings and things that they go to that's why they don't record those because that's where they're kind of allowed to let let go and kind of like do the you know hype man thing Mm -hmm. yeah Uh, but they can't like they can't do it during conference because that's the published thing and that's when everybody's supposed to invite their friends and everything else yeah we've like thomas s monson was even though you hate him elder jackson he was an engaging speaker, right? He would tell these yeah. stories. He'd tell stories in great detail. Tommy. He would, Tommy. <laughs> but he'd, he'd also, like, he'd quote po- poetry. He'd quote, like, Shakespeare. He'd gather mm-hmm. all this kind of collective of knowledge into And he'd give a real engaging sermon. Yeah. And L. Tom Perry was similar, I'd say. And, uh, and Jeffrey R. Holland is, like, the last pseudo theologian who tries to give a sermon right Mm -hmm. but the rest of them are just like just the most boring guys you i think the other reason is is that they're trying to make the general conference talks lesson material Mm. because they started that started to be the thing we do in priesthood and relief society was there was no more reading from the latter-day prophets manual it was just read this general conference talk again yeah and they're formatted with like roman numerals like they're broken up into sections now and mm. stuff like that. Like it is, but I'd say they, they are paranoid to make a mistake. One thing I give Joseph Smith credit for as a preacher is he didn't give a shit about what he said about anything. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He would contradict himself up and down <laughs> one end and the other, and he didn't give a shit. He yeah. would say, you know, Oh, there's, you know, spirit prison, spirit paradise in the book of Mormon. Oh wait, there's actually three degrees of glory. Polygamy is forbidden. Well, actually, it's not. Like, there's nothing in the Book of Mormon that he didn't overwrite. Yeah. By the time he died, and he doesn't. He doesn't give a shit. He doesn't <laughs> care. He's having a good time. He was, and he like, <laughs> but you end up getting some nuggets out of his bullshit, right? But now it's like they're so afraid to say anything that they just won't say anything. Yeah. 
It's funny too. You guys mentioned priesthood. I was I thought that was so interesting growing up. It was it was part of conference, but it was like the one time you'd kind of see them try and act like, oh, we're just you know normal guys. We're you know, guys. It, was, it wasn't you know like locker room talk by any means, <laughs> yeah. but it was you know definitely a little bit different. Like more jokes, I think, in the talks. More mm-hmm. of a we can kind of laugh more and. I don't know what that was. It seemed like it was a PR, you know, attempt in and of itself just to keep the young men, you know, more, more engaged, you know, I, look at yeah. us. We're not, you know, we're not, we're, we're not, you know, necessarily, you know, perfect either. You know, we can kind of have, you know, funny stories to share and stuff like that. 110%. Yeah. Going to priesthood session with my dad as, as a young man, those are still some cherished memories of my life. Yeah. Um, and, and even, uh, yeah, I would if I lived near my dad, I would probably still go to priesthood session with him. Hmm. You know, it was I don't know, that's something from my growing up that I cuz you would yeah, those guys from the 90s really were Gordon Hinckley, Thomas Monson, mm-hmm. L. Tom Perry, a lot of those guys were great speakers and would tell great stories. Yeah. And and you know, I could sit there with my dad and um and my brothers and it was just a it was a special time that made me feel validated. It's like a boy, you know? Yeah. Um, trying to become a man kind of thing. It was, mm-hmm. I can say that was a positive experience. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think those stories for me growing up too, they were always about, you know, overcoming, you know, adversity. And it's like mm-hmm. Thomas S. Monson had great stories. I felt like, yeah, is they were like, you know, there was, they, I felt like those guys in that, you know, the nineties era, they, they came from a very simple time. They probably remind me of my grandfather morning. A lot of them came from like, you know, these humble beginnings, kind of farm life, you know, small town. And so I, I couldn't relate to the story in that I was never in that situation as a kid. But they were, you know, they were stories about how they were always honest or, you know, and, but they were relatable enough to kind of go, okay, well, I, I can appreciate, you know, the, the Christ-like attribute and what they're talking about, you know. Mm-hmm. Or they'd have stories I feel like a lot that were about, you know, people who had disabilities that would run a race or do something. And, and I think, you know, the theme was always, you know, these people have overcome these, you know, really huge obstacles in their life. And so you can face anything in your own life. And you, and you think about it, it's like, well, it's the same kind of message that Anthony Robbins, these life coach guys, these big yeah. gurus are given, you know? Yeah. And so I remember like this, I have the same feeling. It's like, I don't have these like negative, angry you know, feelings about like priesthood session. Cause there was good, you know, like I was with my dad, we'd go to dinner afterwards with some other, you know, guys, it was kind of a traditional thing after mm-hmm. priesthood. And like the messages weren't horrible, but then, like you said, now you kind of look back at him. You're like, well, it was just kind of like nonsense, you know, like it was just, it was really nothing more than like what I feel like these life coaches and these Ted talks, you know, are today. Yeah. And in a lot yeah. of ways, like you said, I can relate more to those. Cause I feel like I was watching a Ted talk last month with this guy, you know, I think he was, going to go play sports at some college, you know, and he was just a gifted athlete and he had an injury and it kept him from like basically meeting his potential in his career. Hmm. And he didn't go on and make millions of dollars. He didn't go on and win any races. He dealt with it. And his Ted talk was dealing with the shit life throws at you. And there's mm-hmm. not, and I think that's what I've grown to appreciate more with the Ted talks and things like that. Some of these like life coach type people, even though I'm not a, I don't I'm a big believer in those types of things, but just, there's something more real about that than what I feel like the general authorities today talk about. It just seems like just so, just so phony and so disingenuous. Mm-hmm. And, it, and it's not like really anchored in any real story or experience I can relate to. It just seems like some old geezer just up here, you know, it's his turn to just barf out the rhetoric in this conference, you know, and then, you know, it'll be someone else to say the same thing. And that's what I've loved 
you know, more with these TED Talks. And so that's something I've dealt with after the church is I'll watch TED Talks if I feel like I want to kind of get a little inspiration as opposed to like, you know, I think in the Mormon church, you kind of pull a conference talk or read an Ensign article. You know, I don't, mm-hmm. I go to look at TED Talks now. That's my, you know, that's kind it's of my go Yeah, yeah. And I remember, like, as I was leaving the church, I remember at one point in time, because I was an auditor, right? As a, I'm a CPA, but I started in audit. And what you have in financial statements, they call it management assertions. So when they present financial information, they're asserting something. They assert that the information's complete, that they actually own the things they say they own, that they actually owe the money that they say they owe, and that the information's accurate. And so I said, what are, what do general authorities assert when they make these statements? What are their assertions? Is this complete? Is it accurate? Is it, um, you know, is it, is it sourced and is it backed up? And I started going through conference talks and just making notes saying, okay, here they made an unsubstantiated claim. They stated something as a matter of fact without explaining why. They started blah, 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 going through all these, you know, assertions that they're making when they're speaking to see if they actually are backed up by anything. And I had to stop about four talks in because I was like, wow, like you really don't believe this is true anymore. (laughs) (laughs) You don't. And uh, I would say when you listen to a TED talk or something like that, these guys will explain to you how they got to where their ideas are, right? They, They have the backup. They have the proof. They explain their thought process instead of just stating things as a matter of fact without any kind of backup or proof, right? Yeah. Hmm. Dramatic pause. Yeah, um, no, I just, it's, <laughs> I agree. Sorry. Yeah. I see about what you said. I disagree yeah. with what you said. It's just, I haven't thought about conference talks like this in a long time, you yeah. know, and it's interesting kind of thinking back to the, what these so, yeah. really are. The other thing I started asking myself was like, okay, this talk is a work of literature is this good, true, or useful? And I'd never asked myself that question before. And it was like, I remember Dallin Oaks gave this talk and I remember him showing a picture in the middle of it of like a dandelion that grew through concrete sidewalk and talking about how blah, blah, blah. But it was like the weirdest, and it was very uncharacteristic for him because usually he's very, very well organized. But he gave like this weird meandering talk. And I was like, what in God's name is the point of this? Mm-hmm. And then we had to talk about it in priesthood. And they said, like, Brother Jensen, what do you think about this? And I was like, this doesn't have a thesis statement. And, like, in grade 12 English, you needed a thesis statement to pass your essay. This talk has no point or purpose. I don't know why it exists. Mm-hmm. And I'm sorry, like, that's just the way I feel. And I have to say, if you want to know my opinion, that's what it is. This couldn't <laughs> yeah. pass grade 12 English. And I'm very shocked because... The guy who's delivering this talk is his former Supreme Court justice. And I yeah, just expect yeah. more of him. And they're like, one of, the f- one of the first things to go for me was conference. Like I remember when I was in Rexburg, my roommates mm-hmm. would be watching conference. And they're like, Alex, you going to join? And I'm like, no, they're going to say, love Jesus. <laughs> be nice. Read the covenant path. Covenant, covenant path. path. Like keep your covenants. And, uh, and I told them that. And I went back to my room. And kept yeah. editing podcasts. Like, I'm like, I don't need this. Well, I don't know about you guys either. Like, so me growing up, I had to go to priesthood, you know, a session Saturday night. 
And then I was expected to watch at least one session on Sunday, if not both. But my parents never really made us watch the Saturday. But I knew people like that was their whole weekend. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I can't really think of any members I knew growing up where conference wasn't more than just an excuse to sit around at home, not have to go to church and wear your pajamas and fall asleep and take a nap. And just mm-hmm. kind of wake up in between. You're like, oh, you're kind of snoring like, oh, the choir is singing right now. You know, this is the yep. part we all stand up and, you know, we all sing, read the lyrics off the screen and you go back to bed. And it's just funny because that's how it was. It was, wasn't like I felt like I ever went to, uh, I mean, my own home included, there was never really an LDS home I was in during conference where people were really engaged. And they were like, you know, listen, everyone was sleeping and eating and hanging out in their pajamas. You know, it was yeah. just kind of exactly. <laughs> like, what is. is this? And then the few true believers would actually go to the chapel and get dressed up. Yeah, like who are these weirdos? You know, why don't you hold your underwear? (laughs) Exactly. Like that's the joke of conference, which is fine. Like members know that general conference is bullshit because they all talk about like, like it's we eat Belgian waffles with a whole bunch of sugar and shit, and then we just sit in our pajamas and have a food coma. Yeah, we Mm -hmm. you know once he's announced all the temples, then we all kind of fall asleep, Mm -hmm. right? Yeah, And, and everybody jokes about it, and everybody makes fun of the young women's president who speaks and the primary president who speaks like even women hate women speakers in church. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. And they're like, Oh yeah. I remember like my wife, when we were first together, she's like, Oh yeah. I always shut off those primary president talks. They're What a waste. <laughs> and I'm like, this is like, like this is weird how much women in the church hate women in the church. If they only knew how much they're being heckled, you know, at home yeah, across oh, America and in the world, you know, <laughs> you gotta wonder if they do. Yeah, they like they must know. Cause I think that women and it's I know three men sitting around talking about this might seem weird, but I think that women in the church must know on some level that they are a joke. Like we all, all that women in the church as, as a, a joke. joke. Sister missionaries are a joke. Every mission had sister missionaries who put water in the gas tank and prayed <laughs> that it would turn into gasoline. And then they flooded the engine. Right. Every mission had those sisters. Right. Like, did it happen in your mission there, brother? Resurrected uh, being. <laughs> so Rock we didn't have cars where I went. So we just, right. and yeah. So I didn't have that experience. But yeah, we definitely. What stupid mission- thing did sister missionaries do in your mission? Like, like what mission myth did you have about stupid sister missionaries? You know, I'm trying to think of one because, be honest, I didn't encounter many in my mission. I maybe had like a couple that I dealt with, and that was it. Because I was my mission was it was very it was a big city on the coast down in South America. So like, you know, kind of like a very highly populated. But then there was this other part of the mission that was kind of like farmland and sticks. And so I was sent way off just in the farmland. So I went down with a group of 12, 11 guys spent the whole time on the coast and I was in kind of the areas that they were reopening or making new areas. So I honestly didn't have a whole lot of sister missionaries. I think oh, they okay. felt like it was too uh, kind of rough risky. and un- yeah. undeveloped. Yeah. And so I had yeah. mostly just male you know, missionaries the whole time. I didn't have, have any real sisters around. It's crazy. But you didn't have like dumb story because like we didn't have sisters who actually put water in the gas tank. It's just every mission has that myth, right? I like yeah. come home and I'm like, hey, did you guys have those sisters in the with the water? Oh, yeah, oh yeah, the water in the gas tank. Like, <laughs> but we actually did have some dumb sister missionaries. Like I had to whitewash an area because these sister missionaries were like playing tag on P day and they jumped over a retaining wall and both of them broke their ankles. What? One was in crutches and the other one was in a wheelchair. And but that became a joke too because I'm whitewashing this area and they're like, we just hope you're better than those dumb sister missionaries. <laughs> <laughs> and it was like, of course the sister missionaries are breaking their ankles and walking around in crutches, and of course the dumb sister missionaries are doing that. Like that's just the. 
it even like my mom hated sister missionaries my whole life. It was like, we'll have the elders over for dinner, but not the sisters. And then like we had the sisters over one time. And my mom's like, Oh, I hate the Like they're the worst. <laughs> I always liked the sisters more. Maybe no, that's because yeah. I was their age and it was after they lowered the age. Right. So you're like dating prospects. You're like, hey, <laughs> feeling lonely. <laughs> yeah, because if they're on a mission, right, they've already been kind of cast off as being exactly. undesirable. Right? That's they the other joke, married. right? That's the other joke. It's I mean, like, it's oh, horrible. Yeah. The, that's the other. It's like, oh, couldn't get married. So you went on a mission. Hey, like, and they just are like, haha, yeah. Haha. Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I just want to have kids. I don't know why I'm here. You know, it's like, yeah. <laughs> No, so I would say for sure the primary uh, president, the young women's president, they all know that nobody takes, they have to. Because <laughs> like what woman in the church doesn't know that they're a joke? Well, and I, I think I laugh now because I don't know who this blonde woman is they've gotten with the short hair. She's the one that was right. uh, interviewing President Nelson and he's talking about the cell phone. and Yeah, yeah. I mean, oh. talk about like the, <laughs> the Bednar bot. I don't know. She was built underneath the Mormon, te- the Salt Lake Temple in some basement. I mean – she does not appear to have a central nervous system. And I feel like the church doesn't do its self service, though. Because those uh-huh. are the, the way they portray women. It's just like yeah. a subservient, like, uh huh, uh huh. Yeah. Like they do it just like pie, like, you know, wide eyed, yeah. just yeah. whatever. And I just think it's, it's so funny. They just don't understand how much I feel like damage they do with those are the, that's the female, you know, kind of personality they put out there as part of the Like a before. step for bot. Yeah. yeah. In- yeah. Instead of like taking these strong, independent women that do exist. Yeah, and mm-hmm. you know, being like, "What are your thoughts?" Right, and and letting them, you know, uh, I don't know, be individuals. Do you yeah. know, Sherry Sherry do actually like? I saw a talk. <laughs> somebody posted it on Ex Mormon. I know she's kind of like the joking polygamous, secret polygamous wife of Russell Nelson or whatever, the lesbian wife of Wendy Nelson. But somebody posted a talk of hers on. Uh, on ex Mormon from when she was a general relief society president or something like that. And I comment, I was listening to this talk is like, do you know what? Yeah. The messaging here is total bullshit, but her delivery is like spot on. Hmm. Like I was really blown away at how good of a speaker she was. Mm-hmm. And I made that comment and then like proceeded to get downvoted into oblivion. Cause it's like the, well, the first rule of ex-Mormon subreddit is you never say anything positive about the church, like <laughs> even remotely. <laughs> it's true, though. It seems like it's it's like they have some speaking, like some approach they all learn because they're very effective when you like a lot of them can be very effective with the way they mm-hmm. use their emotions and the stories and then they can get choked up. And yeah, it's like watching, you know, like a, an emotional scene in a drama you know, in some movie or something. Mm-hmm. They can really kind of pull you in with these experiences and kind of, you know, and all of a sudden you're like, well, why am I crying? You know, this yeah. is, you know, yeah. And I think that's something that's kind of scary that, you know, they can do that so well, some of these guys, you know, because it yeah. just really is kind of like, you know, man, you know, they're really capable of you know, persuading people and kind of, you know, manipulating almost with the way they, they their delivery, you know. Well, I think it's the power of media, right? Yeah. Like, I can edit things in a way and say things in a way and write things in a way that it's like, oh, I, like, I felt something. And, yeah. uh, and like you create that right and you can you can have that effect on people um you know great movies they don't make you cry because they're true they make you cry because well you felt something Mm -hmm. right yeah 
Man, when you were talking about that blonde woman interviewing Russell Nelson in the in the Joseph Smith home or whatever, just yeah. after he puts his face in the hat and then realizes how weird it is and puts it down and then he's looking at her, he's like, and it's just like I can get messages on my cell phone. When she's like, mm-hmm, yeah. That's how I talked to my grandpa when he had dementia. <laughs> yes. And that was exactly what I thought. I'm like, she knows she's talking to a guy who has lost it, right? Yeah. I, I, like, I remember when Thomas Monson came to dedicate the temple in Calgary, and he he got up and he almost fell over. Mm-hmm. And then he starts talking, and it was, I'm like, that's Grandpa Bob. It was my mm-hmm. grandpa who had Alzheimer's. I was like, oh, my gosh. This guy hasn't got a fucking clue what's yeah. going on. And, it, like, and that was, like – that blew me away. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, and I had an experience too, because I think of all the general authorities for me as a kid, uh, mm-hmm. Richard G. Scott was really intense. I thought he was super intimidating and he would always get up and, you know, talk about basically morality. And so I felt like, yeah. you know, this is right when I was a kid, you know, going through puberty and I'm just getting roasted in high school for mm-hmm. just how horrible I am. Cause he's just, you know, big on morality. Well, he showed up on my mission. And so I had to, you know, meet him in a very small area. And so there was probably maybe, like 10 of us missionaries of that. It was a real small area and he just came through. And I remember he, I was surprised at how much he seemed to be just proud of like the celebrity status he had okay. as an apostle. And so he shows up and I'm expecting him to be very serious. And he's just like, ah, oh, you know, he's got off a flight. He's got his cell phone out. And he's like, yeah, I just got done talking to, you know, you know, Elder Packer oh wow you know it's so amazing he's like name dropping like crazy yeah and then he's like kind of you know talking to us and then he's stopping and answering his phone and he's like oh that was a prophet like showing off like oh we're, we're just supposed to be in the audience going wow we just talked wow. to the prophet and the whole experience is really bizarre to me but unlike you know boy k packer with the, you know the, the weird handshake you just touch him you know he wanted to also basically look each of us in the eyes with that penetrating like stare he used to have at the pulpit you know general conference and shake our hand and I remember like sitting there as a missionary. I'm like, oh shit, like, have I repented for everything? Like, he's going to know. He's, have I done anything? Like, was there anything I didn't, you know, clear up before I came on my mission? And going through all this anxiety and panic. And then we have to go meet him. And I walk up and I, you know, put my hand out and he shakes my hand and he just stares at me in my eyes for like, you know, I don't know, it felt like forever. And then, you know, it's like I moved on. I remember this sigh of relief. Like, oh, okay. He didn't, you know, shake my hand, look me in the eyes and say, you're out of here, you know, like tell my mission president. So I thought maybe. He read into my, I mean, I don't know, I, you just don't know. Yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> and, and so whatever he saw in me, it's like, oh, I passed the test. And then I moved on. And I remember feeling this weird, like, I guess that's a validation that I'm worthy to be here and everything's okay. But it was just a really bizarre experience because, I mean, he was someone I was always intimidated by. You know, just his talks were so intense. And then to have to see him. But then the whole time he's like name dropping and doing this shtick about, you know, I just flew on the plane and, you know, I just, you know, and every phone call he didn't announce who it was like, you know, and then, you know, and all the missionaries are like, Ooh, wow. he's like kind of short. He was kind of short though. Wasn't he? Yeah. Real heavy guy. Kind of. Yeah. I remember. Cause I just thought he was a wiener boy. Like I, I just for you to tell me that you're intimidated by him. I remember cause he just had like this soft, quiet voice and he was shorter. Like Thomas S. Monson and, and mm-hmm. L Tom Perry were like six, four, like they were these giants of men. Yeah. And yeah. then you got little, Richard G. Wiener Boy Scott, you know, coming up there. And he's like talking about how if you memorize scriptures, scriptures can become your friend. <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, who is this guy? Yeah, he clearly had imaginary friends growing right? up. Right. <laughs> and like, didn't he, wasn't he like a CEO of something? 
I thought like, he was an engineer. I may be wrong though. I can't remember. Oh yeah, he's the nuclear thing. engineer. That's yeah, the, that's yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, and worked on nuclear submarines. I'm like, this guy in the yeah. army. <laughs> like maybe he's the reason why they everybody, you know, in the army says that the navy's full of a bunch of wimps. Yeah, this guy. <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully that's healing for you there, Brother Porter. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Well, I shot him. You know, that's very right. true. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> um, no, it was uh, it was interesting meeting him, but that's it was weird seeing that human side. You know, the, the like kind of douchebags. Yeah, <laughs> you know, was- I had Dallin Oaks came and reorganized my stake and our stake presidency just before my mission, and I remember he walked in and we all stood up, and then he mm-hmm. got to the front and he motioned us to all sit down. And he said, no, 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 you only do that for the profit. And then you hear these stories about uh, about T-1000 Bednar, who like <laughs> makes everybody stand for him and all this weird. And uh, it yeah. was interesting because Elder Oaks was really, he seemed a lot more relaxed and, mm. and a little bit more, but I remember him motioning everybody to sit down and not stand for him. And that's not what we do. And that's it. Yeah. Because we, we stood for Bednar when he came to our stake. Of course he did. Yeah, <laughs> of course you do. When the when the main operating program <laughs> enters the mainframe or whatever, like all the other programs need to respond to it, don't they? Yeah, like he's he sees himself as the OS of the church, right? He is the operating system, so he doesn't understand why humans don't do everything that he wants them to do when he wants them to do them. <laughs> Do you think Hal from War Games is like in his genealogical tree somewhere? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, this is crazy. I believe that he was actually constructed during his research at Purdue. <laughs> <laughs> Those of you listening, I just did air quotes for research. <laughs> Definitely believe he was constructed. You know, and I laugh too thinking about conference. There's still stories I think of today that I just like. I remember Neil A. Maxwell. He gave a talk. It was a priesthood session years ago. And, you know, those are always geared more towards I feel like father and son relationships too. And so he had talked about this one time he had gotten a phone call, and I guess it was news that a close friend had passed away. And so he was in an, like a home office. You know, he's crying about the call. He's upset he lost his friend. Mm-hmm. Well, I guess his son was nearby. I don't remember how old his kid was, but you know, he saw his dad in there crying. And then his son, I guess, thought that Elder Maxwell was upset with him. That's why he was mm-hmm. crying. And so he said, you know, it was a really big deal to make sure you talk to your kids. And I thought, oh, that's a great message. But I also laughed thinking about that because I'm like, well, how many Mormon kids were constantly in that state of crisis because the expectations we had from Prophets like Elder Maxwell, you know, blasting us from the pulpit, you know, with, you know, chastising us for not being good Mormons or like the Bednars today. I mean, it's just I think it's so funny. These guys can like have these moments where they give these talks and have these real human kind of interactions, you think, with their kids. But then you kind of have to remember they're not really instilling that, you know, because I'm sure there's plenty of times their kids are always feeling like they're disappointing them. That's how I felt growing up Mm -hmm. with every, you know, adult. It was like you just could never be perfect enough and you could Mm -hmm. never be enough. And so. Those talks, I think, were always interesting because there's a good message. But if you really kind of pull back and look at what they're saying and like what the culture is really, you know, pushing, it's like, well, the message doesn't always match up at all with what you know you're really trying to say. Because, and I just think, like you said, it's almost like they're cherry picking, like you said, like editing, you know, like the the story. It's just it's such a 
it's just a weird experience, like going back and reading some of these talks and just thinking about what they were really saying versus what you're really living being yeah. in, the, in the culture. Yeah, and what they're perpetuating. I mean, if your kid sees you crying and automatically assume he's upset with me, like mm-hmm. what kind of relationship are you developing with your kid for that to like be their first yes. thought? Yes, that that's a great point too, right? Like that, yeah, it's, and that's what he made it sound like. It's right where his kid went was, oh, I, it's my fault. Yeah. <laughs> Like, that's a terrible father-son relationship. That's really sad. Yeah. Okay, sorry. While you're just talking about Neil A. Maxwell, because there's something interesting about some of those older apostles, is that lots of them talk about being uh, in the army during the Second World War, but not a lot of them were really in the Second World War. Like, L. Tom Mm. Perry would talk about it. But he was part of the Marines that went over to Japan to start rebuilding. He didn't see any action, right? I think yeah. Thomas S. Watson was in the Navy, but like the Navy Reserve or something like that. Right. But Neil A. Maxwell was in the Battle of Okinawa, which video really? games tell me was savage. Wow. Like he killed people, <laughs> right? Well, I don't know if he's copped up to it, but he was an infantryman in Okinawa, so he probably saw some seriously savage shit. Wow. Yeah. Right, and just I like think, you, Brother Rockwell, just <laughs> like Brother. <laughs> so it just that was one thing that was funny. I remember L. Tom Perry talking. It, it was in like Special Witnesses of Christ, some church PR video, where he's talking about like being the Marines on the shores of Japan, <laughs> rebuilding a town, and we built the first Christian church on Japanese soil, and the yeah. members shook our hands as well. <laughs> And it's like, you're talking about being a war hero as if you were actually there. But I'm like, you just went on a humanitarian mission. You didn't (laughs) shoot people. You didn't get shot at. You're just building churches in a war-torn country that you just dropped a nuclear bomb on. Neil A. Maxwell is like telling stories about like, there's no atheists in a foxhole. You're like, oh, fuck. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) I had somebody say that to me at dinner the other night. We were were sitting there. They don't know I'm out. And uh, we're sitting there and they they're talking about this and i'm just kind of like no i think there's probably a lot like a ton <laughs> they're like oh this sucks <laughs> i think boyd k packer yeah he enlisted in 1943 i think he flew a bomber um so yeah he was on a b24 bomber so he was like blowing up shit in germany so, like, when Boyd K. Packer comes across as a cold-hearted dickhead, it's like, yeah, because he used to just look at factories and houses and be like, drop, drop, drop. Wow. <laughs> and we Neil know how Boyd K. Packer off years ago. Yeah, Neil A. Maxwell's, like, cutting people up in Okinawa while watching his friends get stabbed by kamikaze warriors with samurai mm-hmm. swords. And then L. Tom Perry and Tommy. Oh, Yes. Somebody told me I had to go worship by myself. You go wherever the Mormons go, Tommy. It's like they kind of, they lean on that war hero cred, but it's like they didn't really do. When you joined the army in like 1945, you're not really a World War II vet. (laughs) It's the Lord's army. When the war's over, you're just, you know, all the big battles are in the past. Uh, Yeah, yeah. yeah. You're not the, yeah. But I remember that being something weird, like, especially as Google came about. I'm like, Elton Perry in the Marines? And you Google it, and it's like, oh, yeah, humanitarian mission, basically. 
Do you guys feel like though partly that's kind of a generational thing? Because I'll tell you, my grandfather, you know, he passed away. He was born in 1924. He served in World War II. His job was like the big anti-aircraft guns. And he didn't really talk about it much. I think it was just, you know, like you said, horrific. And he mm -hmm. you know, he invaded, he was there for Normandy, D-Day, all that, you know, big, big, big battles. And he just couldn't talk about it. He'd get real emotional. But I think mm -hmm. the stories that those guys have, I mean, Mormon or not, just to hear like, you know, Band of Brothers. I think I don't know if you guys have seen that series or not, they did. Yeah. I mean, you just watch that series alone, and there's so many guys out there that had just really intense, heroic things they did. I mean, does it have to be religious to hear that type of a story and just feel some type of like admiration, if nothing else, for what they went through and just that they survived? And I think a lot of those, like you're talking about the 90s, you know, general authorities, I think a lot of them were part of that generation that had those experiences. And just when they shared them, it was just powerful, you know, mm -hmm. whether or not you were Mormon or, you know, and I think, but then, you know, you couple that in with, well, I lived because I had faith and I was righteous and the Lord protected me. And you're like, well, shit, Mike, that's what I, if that's, if that's going to give me that extra protection in life, then hell yeah, I'm going to be Mormon. You know, like, this is amazing. Like, look what God did to save this person. You know, they, they went through all these things that are, it was really heroic. And I think that's now, I mean, I'm not to say that people don't go through tragic things, but yeah, I think the caliber of story and just caliber of men they have in these leadership roles now is just, like you said, they're just corporate they're C-level executives, mm -hmm. you know, in the trenches of the warehouse, having to, you know, you know chastise <laughs> a you know, lesser, you know, human being in their view that's not educated and has the money and sophistication. It's just such a, it's a different, yeah, dynamic for sure. Yeah, yeah. Um, I listened to a podcast. This was a long time ago. I think it was Art of Manliness, but he was talking about how, Which, like, uh, fun fact: he's Mormon, by the way. Is no. he still Mormon? Uh, I'm not sure. Yeah. But, uh, I remember him, he was talking to a psychologist or something like that. They're talking about PTSD. I think I've mentioned this on the show before, but like, I guess world war two vets showed fewer symptoms of PTSD than like Vietnam war vets and stuff like that. Oh. And even though they didn't, and this is all, I don't know, this is my memory. So don't take this as gospel truth. But I guess what the guy was saying was so many people served in world war two and so many people came back and, band of brothers and had a shared experience that they could talk about at least with each other that they mm -hmm. kind of process their trauma but with like vietnam or korea fewer people going a lot more people getting drafted and then getting being hated by activists when they come home mm -hmm. being called baby killers it was harder for them to process the trauma oh yeah i remember listening to that and i'm like this is why missionaries tell mission stories all the time mm -hmm. is they're processing their trauma they don't realize it but that's why yeah. they'll have to share these stories of processing the trauma. <laughs> I was still active at that point in time, but that was the first thing that came to my mind was, yeah, I'm like a world war two vet. I'm totally fucked. And that's why I talk about it all the time. <laughs> no, that's a great point. That's how I feel. Cause it helps, you know, like it's just mm -hmm. something about like just even talking to you guys in the podcast or just listening, you know, just, it's like that shared experience of holy mm -hmm. shit. You know, I went through this, but at least I'm not alone. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Thanks. So. Well, anything else? Any final words? Do we want to? Oh, my up? conference talks are shitty. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I don't. What more can he say than to you? He has said. Well, <laughs> and the only thing I would add is I do think it's really interesting. You mix in the Mormon Tabernacle Choir, and yeah. I mean. <laughs> I have so many memories of those hymns, even though like I laugh at the lyrics and I think that is such a powerful tool to have, mm -hmm. you know, like have them singing when these conferences are taking place. I mean, 
because it just I feel like it just invokes such emotional feelings, you know, and especially mm-hmm. when they start singing non LDS, like just kind of like battle him of the Republic, like, you know, yeah. non traditional church. I mean, just a powerful, they're really powerful choir. And then they have yeah. a symphony. And so I think that's a great tool that the LDS church uses to really just set the tone emotionally. Like, you know, yeah. they have that uh, music in a spoken word right before, you know, sometimes. Yeah. So it's just, it's, it's, I think that's, it's really amazing how much the church can, I, I just knows how to really tug on your heartstrings, I think, mm-hmm. with the whole mess, the way they deliver their message and everything like that. Like we, we definitely baptized somebody who's converted to the Mormon Tabernacle Choir, like before we tracked it into them. Hmm. They're just Mormons. Oh, real more like the Tabernacle Choir. And they yeah. said, I have never in my life heard anything more powerful than Battle Hymn at the Republic yeah. sung by the Mormon Tabernacle. I'm like, well, you're English. So why do you like this song? Like, this is, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but okay. Um, I know there's still, there's still hymns that I've leaned on as a source of personal strength since leaving the church. Mm-hmm. Um, want to lead kindly light, mm-hmm. yeah. Because um, that song doesn't really actually mention God or Jesus or Joseph Smith, uh, you know, the Holy Trinity of Mormonism. But um, it's just about it's taking it's about taking a step into the unknown and um, taking one step of a time. So when you're leaving the church, that became particularly meaningful for me. I know at one point in time I'd like listen to it every morning, you know. Um, so I'd agree. Yeah. Very powerful messaging. Yeah. 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 Also, this was our 50th episode. So. Oh, yes. Big. Congratulations. We're coming up on a year. We're coming up on a year. Yeah. <laughs> or are we out of year? When did our first episode come out? February. Uh, February. Let's see. 2020. February 21st. Yeah. So this tomorrow, as of the release of this episode, tomorrow mm-hmm. is our one year. That's pretty cool. Congratulations, guys. That's exciting. Thank you. Well, thank you. Thank you for joining and, us. Yeah. Um, once again, this was delightful uh, to have <laughs> the Lord's Assassin join us. <laughs> yeah, if I've ever mess with you angel. guys, you let me know, all right? <laughs> Perfect. Well, Bishop, want to close right. us out? In the name of Joseph Smith, amen. 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 <laughs> <laughs>